welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Here we are with another Hungry Authors interview. Today's guest is with Allie Anderson. Allie is a six-figure earning ghostwriter and editor who's worked in-house at one of the top five publishing houses in the world. She works exclusively with trauma survivors to turn their pain into best-selling books. And she's the founder of Hey Young Writer, a mentorship pl platform where she and her team inspire youth to pursue their passion for writing. And by the way, you should go check them out on Instagram because her Instagram account, which is just at Hey Young Writer, is super cute. I hope you enjoy this practical episode. I love Ali's perspective on puzzling through your memoir. Here we go. So Ali, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so fun to hang out with you guys. Yeah. Um, would you start off by telling everybody a little bit about your background and how you got started ghostwriting memoirs? Yeah, absolutely. So I have always been in writing and publishing in, in some capacity. I have a degree in writing literature and publishing from Emerson College and a minor in journalism and Holocaust literature. And so I, I took that and got my first job at a small publishing house in Boston. And then in a roundabout way, ended up in Nashville with my now husband um, and got a job at a small publishing house called Thomas Nelson Publishers. During my tenure there, that publishing house was purchased by HarperCollins, so I started working as a HarperCollins employee. Um, so having done that for several years, the company was just changing and growing, and there was just so many ups and downs and lots of layoffs, and uh, my department eventually closed. And I decided to kind of go off on my own. I started my own editorial and content development company with a business partner. And that kind of slowly morphed into doing developmental editing and ghostwriting on my own, just because we had so many clients who were asking for eBooks and blogs and all that kind of stuff, but short-term or short-form content just isn't for me. So um, I have a friend who is a ghostwriter and she had been trying to talk me into trying my hand at it. And um, I went into it kicking and screaming. I was like, fine, I'll try it one time. And I fell in love with it. You know, it's, it's incredible what happens when you operate in your passion and in your actual skill set. I think for a long time, I had been very protective of that and saying, you know, if I'm going to write a book, it's going to be for me. I'm not going to give this away um, or sell myself out, but that's really not what it is. And that's not what it was. It blew, blew me away when I started doing it. And so, you know, I've, I've now been ghostwriting specifically grief and trauma for six years and it's been an incredible journey. Wow. I want to hear more about the, the grief and trauma part, but 
I'm, I'm also just curious first, Ali, you know, what was it about ghostwriting that made you resistant to it at first? Cause, and I actually relate because I kind of feel like I've, um, had a similar journey of like, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to, uh, to get into ghostwriting and now it's kind of evolving for me. So I'm curious, where was that resistance for you? And then how, like, how'd you overcome that? Well, I know I'm a damn good writer and I didn't want to give it away. Like I, I, I felt like if I'm going to, if I'm going to make a name for myself, I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm not going to do this thing where it's, you know, like I, I create and let somebody else put their name on it. It just felt wrong to me. But over time, I began to realize that I, I wasn't actually using my talent in an unsavory way that kind of that did nothing for me. I mean, in reality, I, because I specifically do grief and trauma, I watch my clients come back to life through our work together. And I'm lending my talent to something greater than these pieces of content that are maybe used. And there's nothing wrong with, with writing a piece of material that is for sales purposes or to build somebody's platform. That's just not my focus. And when I, when I started to recognize that I could create this content that had greater meaning, that was when I started to say, okay, this, this makes more sense for me as a, as a writer. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I like, I mean, I relate on a lot of levels. I'm also a primarily a ghostwriter, but my, and I'd taken on two memoirs in the last year. And the first one is also like a trauma. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess grief is a part of all trauma, but I would put it more firmly in the like trauma category than like grief category. But anyway, I remember, uh, Ariel probably remember this too, like early last year when this client came to me, I had only been doing pretty like prescriptive nonfiction stuff with like thought leaders and entrepreneurs. And I really liked that and felt like pretty good at it. It's a little bit formulaic, which makes it feel like easier in some ways. And so this client came to me and she wanted something very different, a memoir about, you know, really traumatic experience and how she overcame it. And I've loved her. I thought she was great. But like that day after I chatted with her, I like Vox, Ariel and our other mastermind sisters on, on, and I was like, yeah, she's great. But like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I can't do this. Like, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to say, no, it, it was like a great paying gig. It was going to be like interesting. And I loved her, but I just thought like, no, it's, it's just too hard. Like, I don't know if I can dig into that with her, but, and I can't remember now, but of course I ended up doing it. It was so out of the realm of anything I'd ever done before. But echoing what you said, I am just finding it so much more rewarding in a different way than anything else I'd ever done before. And I don't want to know. I don't know if our listeners will be too interested in like us geeking out on like the mechanics of it. But the collaborative ghostwriting process is so much deeper and kind of richer in a way that it isn't when you're just sharing like you're like business expertise or something, you know, the kind of editing I need her to do, the kind of digging into emotions and internal dialogue and stuff that I need her to do. Yeah, it's just fascinating. And I think that sometimes one of the pushbacks people might have, and I'll like pitch this to you now, why would you or how can you outsource that to somebody? Tell us like what that looks like for you and how your clients think about making that decision. Well, a lot of times my clients are people who 
don't have either the time or the talent to do it. So they're they're resource they're resource poor in those two areas typically. So what they're looking for is somebody to help them create art out of something that's happened to them and they know that they're not necessarily qualified to do something like that. And I never see it because just like you said, you know, it it's pretty collaborative. I never really see it as outsourcing. I think I do have some clients who are really, you know, hands off. They just want me to do it. And that's always an interesting experience for me because when somebody doesn't give me feedback, it's, a, I mean, it's a, it's a big compliment in a lot of ways, but, you know, I always want to make sure that I'm checking in with my clients to make sure that they're not just not offering that because they're keeping it at arm's length or they're afraid to dig in because in the end, then that could create this scenario where they receive a full blown piece of art that years later they realize isn't necessarily representative of their actual experience, you know? So, you know, I think there are a lot of different reasons for people reaching out to me, but in the end, what they're looking for is somebody to guide them through the process, somebody to be the person who's holding their hand and somebody who is taking the pressure off because they think that when you're, you sit down to write your own memoir and something really awful has happened to you and you want to share it, a lot of times people get caught in the weeds of, okay, so who cares or what's the point or why do I want to, why do I need to, why, who needs to hear this? Why do they need to hear it? And I come in with an outside perspective that's often very clear about why and who and what it means and why it matters. And that alone in a partnership is invaluable. Do you ever feel almost like a counselor or kind of, I've, I've felt a lot of times in my life as an editor, even when people have even said to me, this feels like a counseling session. And I always go a little bit like, well, <laughs> I'm not a counselor. Let's make sure that's clear. Yeah. But also I can see the huge gift that it is to authors to have someone who will just listen to their story and, and someone who can reflect back with clarity, what might have been going on in their lives. You know, I'm very careful to make sure that my clients are taken care of by some kind of a therapeutic psychiatric team. Oh, that's a good idea. If they're not, you know, and that's their choice. That's fine. I can't deny that what we do is therapeutic. Like it absolutely is. And so it can get a little dicey and, and dealing with people who are digging into their trauma means that you're meeting them in a place where they're really raw and I've had people lash out at me more than once during a project or people, you know, repeatedly crying to me. And, and, and all of that is unfortunately or fortunately a part of the process because it's just on the spectrum of, of human experience. And so I think that might be one of the harder parts of what I do because I'm, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm just somebody who has had her own trauma and knows how to identify in a story these points that speak to a greater cultural narrative or can catalyze change or could speak to somebody else going through maybe not even the same thing, but something similar. You know, I guess I 
unwittingly do take on that role, <laughs> but I try to do my best to make sure that my clients are supported in other ways. I know that a lot of our listeners and the people who attend our workshops, they are interested in writing about their own personal painful experiences. So would you be able to just, I mean, I know this is like a whole process, but would you be able to just like list off some of those, you know, guiding criteria? Like how do people know when it is a good time to share or what to share or what does make for a compelling story that doesn't feel like navel gazy? Not that, you know, that's sort of an unflattering way to put it, but that makes for a memoir or a piece of content about something personal and painful that like can be a, a vehicle of change in somebody else's life. How do, how do people know that's what they've got? I think that's what we've all got. You know, I, I think that there, there's not a single story that doesn't have merit in that way. It's about identifying those parts of the story and knowing how to be measured in telling that story. There is a lot of value in getting everything down on paper exactly the way that it sits in your brain and then worrying about fleshing it out and bringing it to life and adding that color and texture later. But the reality is story is valuable. Without story, we have no connection to one another. We have no, you know, it is, it's, it's quite possible to even be stunted in our own growth without the sharing of story. So I would never say to somebody, you know, you really don't, you don't have it. The story doesn't have the grit or the, it doesn't have that compelling edge to it. It's about finding it because it's there. That's such a great way to say that. I love, um, I love what you just said about story and that we do all have a story there to find it. So I know one of the most challenging things that memoir writers often face is where to start their story and how, and where to end it. How do you know, like, how do you help an author figure out where a story starts and ends? So a lot of times what I do is I start instead of on the spectrum of beginning and end, I start with some questions pointed at identifying how do you want the reader to be changed? What do you want the reader to walk away with? Yeah. So together we come up with an overview that this one paragraph describes how we're going to change the reader through this story. So that piece of that information informs where we start and where we where we finish off. A lot of times, you know, I'll start, I usually start with a prologue that kind of slams the reader into that really thick, heavy piece of action. So they know what's coming because we start off typically fairly slowly because we have to understand what life was like before this great event to understand what was lost and what change comes out of it. So we want to create the scenario where, you know, you, you know, you're being pushed toward this thing where this really crazy event happens or <clears throat> a series of events that then catalyzes this change in this person. So for me, in what what's most important is is really identifying those key points because then we know we're building the story or we're we're building out the narrative around sort of 
this very clear mission of what we want the reader to walk away with and how we want them changed. Yeah, that's exactly what we often teach too. We talk about um, book mapping a lot. Both of our experience has been in more prescriptive uh, nonfiction books. And those are very explicitly about trying to accomplish a change in a reader. And it's only recently that I've started to think about memoir as doing the same thing, but through the author's experience, I would say a year ago, if you asked me, okay, what's the difference between a prescriptive nonfiction book and a memoir? I would say a prescriptive nonfiction book tells the story of transformation for a reader and a memoir tells a story of transformation for the author. But it is interesting to me that so many memoirs really do actually accomplish a change in the reader too. It's just through a very different vehicle. To accomplish that is to master the craft because in prescriptive nonfiction, you have so much freedom to just say to the reader, hey, you need to change this way because this is how it's going to pay off. But in, in narrative nonfiction, you can't address the reader in that way. So in order to make that change, you have to be skilled enough to evoke these feelings that, that catalyzes that change within through story. It's, it's, it's really interesting and it is such a fascinating way to view the art and to every single deliverable I do and every single book I write, it's a puzzle for me. You know, it is a, it is a, this is what I need to accomplish and am I doing that and where am I not? And where are these little, you know, bits and pieces that are falling apart? Where are the frayed edges? I, when I was on my run this morning, I was thinking about the fact that in my life, I get paid to have my brain, like, you know, how people do Sudoku or things like that, you know, to keep their brains healthy. But my work is to do that because I'm constantly doing these crazy puzzles to figure out how can I take this rape victim story and use that to evoke a feeling in this person that will help them understand the need for a national change on a national level at the, you know, for policy change or things like that. You know, it's, it's, it's a really, it gets me so excited about the, the craft in general. That makes a lot of sense to me. And yeah, rings really true, especially because, you know, with a lot of prescriptive nonfiction books or self-help development kind of books like the top line takeaway is like well like i'm collaborating in a book right now about with a with an agent and it's about how to get signed by an agent and it that's the takeaway and so i was like okay we're teaching people how to get a literary agent not that that's especially easy but it's clear right prescriptive books you're teaching people how to become a professional speaker you're teaching people how to start a business you're but like when it comes to memoir identifying the reader and that change you want to evoke in them it's not as clear as like this one prescriptive takeaway. And that's why, you know, throughout working on that book, I've gotten to like um, hear from and talk to a lot of agents and editors. And when memoir comes up um, and like, whether it's around writing a great memoir or getting signed or getting published, so many of them mention the writing. They're like, well, 
you know, with these prescriptive books, a lot of times there's other things to consider, you know, platform and market and all this kind of stuff. He's like, memoir, it's trickier. It's because so much about, about it is just on the page, you know, it's in the writing. This is a cliche example, but it's like, you know, eat, pray, love. I read that book many years ago. I've met, read it three times since. And I think about it all the time still, but why? Like, I can't pinpoint, like, it didn't teach me how to, like, eat, pray, and love necessarily. Maybe in some ways it did. But it moved me immensely. I don't know. It's harder to, to pin down, right? Because it's just the writing and the storytelling. And I think about different parts at different points in my life. And, yeah, it's beautiful, but it's harder. And it's kind of more fun in different ways. Like, I actually remember, yeah, I, I had a conversation as I was starting, um, the memoir I, I, I'm working on, I talked to your business partner actually, and had a little call with her. And I remember asking her like, okay, cause I had my prescriptive formula, right? I was like, when I go into my content calls with clients, I know what questions I'm trying to, ask. I need to ask. I've got my five parts of a chapter. I need a hook. I need a bam, bam, bam. I need my points. And I was like, I just don't know how to interview a memoir client. Like, I don't know what to dig into with her. I don't know where to start. I don't know. And I kept poking, what do I need? You know? And she was like, you just find it along the way. And I was like, wow, illuminating, right. And frustrating, <laughs> I don't know. you know, but that's what has made it so fun and so cool. And yeah, it's an interesting, it's fun to dig into. And I got to imagine for a lot of people so much more helpful to have it from a collab to have a collaborator because poking yourself in those right ways. I mean, lots of people do it brilliantly, but like, it's difficult to know what to ask yourself and where you want it to go. It's, it's, it makes a lot of sense to me that people would um, seek help in that way. And it is, it is a really interesting relationship to have with a client when you are, as you say, poking them because you're right. There is no script. Like there, there's no, it's, it's completely different than that preachy didactic sort of thing because you're, you're having those clients teach you existing methods and then you're taking what they've taught you and you're writing it for them. And this is something completely different where you're in conversation with somebody who's processing things that have happened and you have to pay attention to things down to just these little cues that you can, the physical cues, whether they're like looking away or they're starting to get antsy and you either push into that or pull back or you have to, once you have that notion of, okay, this is the truth that we are trying to draw out for a reader, somebody might be telling you a story about something that happened in their life and it feels relevant to them, but in reality, it's not. And so you kind of have to know as you're moving along when you're you're isolating information or pulling bits of story from someone that is not wholly relevant to the mission at hand. And that's also a tricky part of it is when you have someone who says like, okay, you know, this is a very important part of the story and you recognize that it's not actually. It's, it's, you get into this really interesting, it can feel like a conflict, but not always. And I'm lucky enough to have clients who really do default to my expertise and my opinion, but that is, a, that's also a tricky piece of it because there is no, 
there isn't a script. There isn't a way to say, this is how you need to interview someone because it's different with every client. To do that for yourself and to do that on your own is, is tricky too, because you don't have that outside person saying to you, hey, this actually isn't relevant at all. Like, it's cool to hear about your first kiss, but like, who actually cares? You know? <laughs> like, yeah, I think I used an example. We did a Map Your Memoir workshop a couple weeks ago. Almost going back to the therapy point you made, like, I have a client who has told me the same story three different times now over many months, and I haven't used it in the manuscript. And I think maybe he's told me that story again because I haven't used it. And I haven't used it because it's just not a great story. It doesn't really do what I like anything really, but it, certainly anything related to the manuscript, but he keeps telling it to me. And so that says to me, this story is really important to him. Like, I'm happy to dig into it and ask. You keep mentioning the story, like, let's dig into it. But I'm going to be honest the, that this doesn't have a lot of relevance to the reader and what we're trying to accomplish here. But I can tell it's important to you. But like you said, it's, it that feels a little bit therapy-ish. But if it keeps coming up, it's clearly important to him. And so let's dig into it. And I want to honor the fact that it is important to him. But like you said, push back and say, this doesn't really serve a purpose, you know, in the manuscript that that serves the reader. You're a fantastic writer, so you'll make it fit. If this is important to him, you can make it fit. It's important to communicate to that client that I will make it fit. But the reality is this puzzle piece actually doesn't fit here. So it might seem, you know, this is a, this is flimsy. That's a weak point in the story. I encounter that a lot. And it's a tricky one. Cause I find myself when somebody's like, no, we're including this, they, you know, when they choose not to take my recommendation, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to make this puzzle piece fit. When I am staring at my piece, when I'm all done, that looks like it's been duct taped in there. Because yes, right. I know, that's how, yes. I've described that way. I'm like, if you've like, sometimes when I'm talking to editors, I'm like, if you feel like there's a piece that I just shoehorned into it, it's because I did. <laughs> yeah. So most of the people listening to us right now are not working with a ghostwriter on their memoir. You know, they want to write their memoir themselves, or, you know, they don't have the, the funds to hire a ghostwriter. How do you recommend that they kind of help to get that? Obviously, it would be great if they can work with an editor or a book coach or something, but let's just say right now they're not sure they even want to go down that path. They just want to get this memoir out there as much as they can on their own. Are there any things that you can recommend to them to help them achieve the perspective that they need to see when a puzzle piece is being shoehorned into a puzzle and it doesn't actually fit? Well, I think when you're writing your own memoir, you have to follow the same, the same process that an outside person writing your memoir would follow. And I think that people writing their own books, and I deal with this a lot with coaching clients, is they get really overwhelmed by the same thing that haunts every single writer, which is that empty page with a blinking cursor. And you're like, I don't know how the hell to fill this page. Well, of course you don't. You know, like, of course you don't know what to do because you haven't planned it out. So what I tell my clients is, okay, let's go through the same exercise that we would go through as if 
you are writing this for someone else. So we identify the overview, we create these key takeaways, and we figure out how we want to change the, the reader. And we go through and create an outline. And I do this by telling the story. So I will literally sit there and do broad strokes overview. I will literally start, I was born in, and then tell it all the way through the end. And that's not to say that we're going to necessarily start in childhood, but when you're processing your own story, you have to be able to look at this chain of events from A to where you are now in order to, to be able to figure out the mechanics of that, the telling of that story. You will soon, as you're starting to make notes and flesh out that outline, you'll be able to see it's a gut thing. When you're, sh when you're pushing something in there that doesn't fit, I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't actually intuitively know that they shouldn't be putting something in there, but they ignore that a lot of times because they're like, no, I want everyone to know how hard I worked in earning my MBA, or I want everyone to know that I was an Olympic runner or whatever the hell it is. You know, the reality is you have that instinct. If you're talking yourself into why it's relevant, then it's not relevant. You know, I think that we get ourselves into this place with writing our own stuff where, and this might go off topic, but this is just the thing that I see in my industry, especially because I also run a mentorship platform, is that we believe that in order to be great writers, there are certain boxes that we have to check off. We have to take all these classes. We have to join these masterminds. We have to we, we have to put in a certain number of hours a day. We have to hit these word counts. We have to do da 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 All of these things are ignoring the fact that this story and these words and the ability to get them out and to make them beautiful and breathing and evocative, that's in you. So anything that you're doing, you know, to kind of force that out, is just that you're doing things to force out what's already in there. So I think that with this, with some planning and with something that's fairly simple, I mean, an outline is a pretty straightforward thing to have. Sometimes just not having that one little tiny winchpin of a thing is what makes that blank piece of paper with the, the blinking cursor be the end that that can be the end of it for somebody because they can't handle the pressure because they don't know what they're doing but they don't know what they, they're doing because they haven't just focused on that one very simple thing so I think I mean I think it's this that our profession and our craft is is a very tricky thing because it's not that tricky because it really isn't it's it is raw talent. It's just, these are stories that live inside you and you have it. It's just about letting that go, you know, letting your, giving yourself the freedom to just freaking do it. Such a great point, especially because I think people do sometimes have a misconception that memoir is just like a word vomit of everything that happened to you, which it might start that way. You know, like a lot of times you have to do that at the beginning, but a well-done memoir that is a vehicle for change in other people, it has an intentional start. It has an intentional 
end. It has a larger goal, a larger impact it's trying to make on the reader outside of the catharsis for the author, which is true and real and important. But like you said, there are guideposts, you know, there are points you want to hit. There are things you intentionally exclude. It's not just you sit down and you write your life story. Although again, that is kind of a, a part of it, but that's not all of it. So I think, I just think that's really helpful for, for people to learn when we, when we talk about mapping out memoirs, this is the kind of thing we talk about is having these sort of having this outline um, so that you don't end up just writing down every little thing. I mean, and you can tell, right? Like this is, we talked, we did a, um, an Instagram live a week or two ago about Spare, you know, the, the Printary's book and, and J.R.M.O. Ringer and, I was listening to a journalist talk about it, and this might be a little like industry speak, but she was saying like she could kind of tell in the book when Prince Harry really wanted to just go off on somebody because, you know, he did. And that's probably not an editorial choice that like Jeremy Moringer would have made or even like the editors would have made, but like it's a, it's his book. So to some degree he gets to do that. You can, you can tell when like he just sort of had a personal grievance to air and he did it because it didn't really fit with like what the rest of the book was trying to do. And so to avoid that, yeah, like you said, I think it's just such great advice to just have a simple outline, have really have thought through what kind of transformation you're trying to evoke in your reader beyond just the catharsis of of telling people what happened to you here's another question as we near the end of this conversation how do you we talked about how your clients you of course recommend and encourage them to take care of their themselves and get any kind of help that they need how do you do that for yourself just being the sounding board for a lot of hard things in people's lives so i have a therapist, I have a psychiatrist, I do rapid resolution therapy. I do, I use a lot of different modalities to keep myself healthy because, you know, without my own mental health there, there, I don't have the ability to carry the others. I will say I can walk out of my office having spent the day in a violent rape scene or in a child molestation scene or in a domestic violence situation, human trafficking, and I can walk out feeling pretty good. And a lot of that is because my job is not to sit with the author in the dark space. My job is to be the light. My job is to illuminate the truths. And so when I walk away knowing that I've spent the day doing that, I don't walk away feeling heavy or weighed down. I walk away away feeling really accomplished. I've found many ways to just make sure that I am healthy and happy for my family, that I'm not taking away the, the bad, that instead I'm walking away with the good. And, you know, I always have in mind the moments when my clients read my writing and are like, oh my, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe that you hold that or you, you got that from what I word vomited to you. So if I'm having one of those days where I'm feeling really heavy, I just remember that I'm illuminating something, not only for the greater good, but for a person who has gone through something so horrific that they too are trying to find the meaning 
and the reason or the value of that experience. Yeah. Ali, do you have any books, um, any memoirs specifically, or any, you know, books about writing or anything that you like to recommend for memoir writers? Yeah, I, I gotta tell you, and I, I know, I know, I know, but I'm just going to say, I am not a big believer in reading about the craft or how to do it, because I believe that that exists within all of us. I think we can access (laughs) We can access that within ourselves. And I, I worry that now I'm saying this as somebody who has a degree in writing literature and publishing, but when it comes to too much outside input about the craft, it actually inhibits you from your own spin on the craft. And I, I don't, don't usually recommend texts like that. My favorite memoirs are from Augustine Burroughs, A Wolf at the Table is my absolute favorite book in the world. It is fantastic. I also loved Educated. That was a, a fantastic book. And I, I think Educated is, is an important one because we are at a really interesting time for memoirists where the industry is telling us that they don't, memoirs don't sell and might as well not write something if it is a, a, a memoir. And I wholly disagree with it. And that is with that. And and that book is one of the, my proof points that I use when I talk to people, there is nothing holding you back from being a Tara Westover. You know, it's it's, it's all great writing. It's all good storytelling and it's right place, right time. And if mainstream traditional publishing doesn't happen for you, there is so much space in the hybrid self world that will get you to the same place. So, I mean, my biggest recommendation for people looking to to do their own memoir is read great memoirs. I love that. And you are speaking our language. (laughs) We are on that train as well of like, go do it. First of all, the market is way more open than you think it is, or that then a lot of publishers will tell you it is. There actually are lots of memoirs getting signed all the time. I know because I look at Publishers Marketplace every single day and I see the deals come in. So memoir does sell. It just has to be kind of under those right circumstances and figuring out that puzzle is a whole other thing, but it does sell and it can be done. And if for whatever reason you are running into rejections, like you said, there are tons of other opportunities. You have hybrid, you have self-publishing open to you. And there's no reason why your book can't be successful in those avenues as well. So we are on the same page there. And I feel, I'm glad you said that about craft. Sometimes even I feel a little bit like a fraud because I don't, haven't like consumed a lot of those books about like how to write. I was like, I make this joke only like half kidding that like when I signed my first like ghostwriting memoir, I was like, Google how to write a memoir. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) And, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, um, everybody has it, like you said, and everybody's got instincts. Yeah. I mean, my first book that I wrote, my first ghostwriting project many years ago, I, um, I just like lied. I was like, yeah, I'm a, I write books all the time. And then I got the project and I was like, okay, I am going to do this now. <laughs> I, you know, and I did it like, it, I like, I I went into it thinking like, man, I, okay. I've worked in manuscripts for 
however many years, like I know how to handle all these words. And then I was like, I just, I, I knew that failure was a possibility, but I kept saying to myself, okay, if I really can't do this, I can find someone who can, I can have them do it. I can just take, I could just say I did this and then I will never do it again. Right. But it didn't work out that way. You know, like Mm -hmm. it, it, it was, um, it was this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I've been, I've been confused this whole time. Like I thought I was an editor, but I'm not like, I, I edit too, but you know, writing, writing is my jam. And I, you know, I forget what I, why I was saying this. So well, I mean, that goes back to like our, when we talk about hungry authors, you know, like they are people who are scrappy. And sometimes that means, you know, like taking on things that you don't feel ready for, for that you might not actually be equipped for, like not even like speaking, like not even being humble. Like you actually, it is above your talent level, but doing it will raise the bar for you you know like i've taken on tons of things like that where i'm like i actually don't know if i can do this but i know in the doing it i will get better and i think especially women like i think writers and people at all kinds of jobs in this profession would be amazed at how many people just fake it till you make it is so cliche but like you know even like one of the authors i'm working working with about like getting signed she was like yeah put i always tell people like put a speaking page on your website and i was like but like what if like they don't speak? And she's like, I tell everyone to do it. Just tell everyone that you speak. And I was like, okay. You know, because it's like, well, why not? You know, like you can speak, you feel figured out. If you get a gig, just tell people you do it. You know? I mean, here's the thing. Many years ago, a publisher said this to me and it was the best thing that anyone has ever said to me in a professional sense. He said, Allie, no one's gonna die and I I was like oh my gosh I can literally do anything because I'm not gonna die I mean I might commit to something and it might be a freaking disaster but I can fix a disaster I'm not gonna die and then I'll learn to never do that thing again you know I I have achieved success over this long swath of time mostly by doing things that really freaking scare me, but they've paid off, you know? And, and yeah, I've definitely had moments where I have failed, but in those moments I've said, okay, new rule. I'm not doing this again, or new rule. I'm asking every, I'm screening every potential client to look for this quality because that doesn't work for me. Or Mm. even with, and we talked about this you know, Ariel and I have had conversations even about pricing and how to, you know, whether it's pricing yourself as a freelancer or pricing a product or something like that, I've learned to really value myself and value my talent and my skill and my content. And I think these are all things that can feel super scary, but if it doesn't scare you, then it's not worth doing. I mean, it's, then it's just, every other thing that you do at some point, you know, and that goes that it speaks directly to the person who is sitting there wanting to write their memoir and doesn't know what to do and is staring at that blinking cursor. And maybe they even have 
their outline and are just like, well, what is the point? It's never going to get picked up. It's never going to this. It's never going to that. Well, the only truth in, in this, in that whole scenario is that you can fail by not doing it. You know, you, you failure is an option and that failure looks like you not just freaking doing it. So, and that's the only way to actually fail at this. So as soon as you've gotten words on the page, you're successful and the rest of it, you know, it is, it's scary. We're, we're also doing something where so much emotion and so much sense of self is involved. And there is so much rejection in this industry. And there's a lot of criticism and it's tricky. And especially when you've had a past of maybe a parent who wasn't supportive, it can, these things get all knotted and tangled and twisted, but you know, the reality is it's simple. This is scary, but you're going to do it. And if you don't do it, that's the only way you can fail. So you just have to do it. Yeah. I love that. Can you imagine being one of my kids? (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, you are taking your own advice and doing this for yourself. Now you shared with me before that you're writing your own memoir and working on that. So how's that going? Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Yeah. You know, um, I have wanted to write my memoir for 15 years, but the crazy thing is I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I was hitting a wall. And I realized recently in the last year or two, I couldn't write it because the story I was trying to write wasn't finished yet. The interesting thing for me is that the story that I've been trying to tell has a lot to do with my father and his alcoholism and our relationship and my search for love in that relationship. And he passed away in six days, we'll be at six years. And in his passing and in my processing of that death, that's where I found my ending. So for so many years, I had been trying to force something that wasn't developed yet. It wasn't there yet. You know, I I think that that can come across as me maybe saying to a listener, you know, if you're feeling that it's not there, it's not there. That's not the truth for everyone, but it was for me. Um, There was a very specific story that I was trying to tell, and I was not able to get these lessons across, but I've learned in the last six years that it's because I hadn't learned the lesson yet. That relationship was still, and it is still, there's a reverberation after a death where your relationship to that person doesn't end, it changes. And I didn't, I didn't know that or understand it, you know, and then, you know, moreover, when he was still alive and I was trying to figure out what am I learning from this thing that continues to be this atomic bomb that just goes off and shudders and goes off and shudders in my life over and over again. Um, So my own journey, and I, I have to tell you, I've written 15 books. I hired a book coach. I knew I needed somebody there holding me accountable and making sure that I'm prioritizing myself because in our industry, if you're an editor, you're a writer, it's really hard to put your own content anywhere on the map, let alone first. 
yeah, I'm not doing it alone. No, you know, nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing editorial is ever done alone. That's amazing. So cool. Do you have, not that it matters because all publishing is valid and wonderful and worthy, but um, do you have a publishing plan for your book yet or like a release date or anything like that? You know, uh, no, I don't have a release date or a publishing plan or anything like that yet. I am writing and I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I, I, I having worked for HarperCollins I, and for small publishing houses, you know, I've formed my own opinions on mainstream publishing. It is my plan to pursue that, but I don't know what's going to feel right when I put that last that last period on the, the page. I don't know what's going to feel right to me, and I'm open to letting that reveal itself to me in time. Awesome. Ali, where do you want people to connect with you if this is the first time that they have um, have heard you speak and want to kind of follow up and continue to learn from you? So I have a mentorship platform called Hey Young Writer. So we are at Hey Young Writer on Instagram and our blog is heyyoungwriter.com. We seek to elevate all voices, you know, we publish many people who are really green in in this in the space, and we we look to help people build their portfolios and learn from professionals who are a couple steps ahead. This industry is pretty well gatekept, and I think y'all are pretty similar to to me in that we look to to kind of crack the door for people who are just sitting here trying to figure out what's next or what's even first yeah. and um hey young writer does just that we have um a, a, a platform called hey young writer university where we have 15 mentors who are there to answer questions or do do 30 minute mentorship sessions i myself offer them for free as well so you know just connect at hey young writer on instagram that's the best way to to reach me and my my ragtag group of publishing folks awesome thank you so much ali we really appreciate it thanks for being part of the hungry authors community if you like this episode could you do us a huge favor head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at hungryauthors or hungryauthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Thank you.